the book of Zechariah, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's on page 951 in the church Bibles, page 951, Zechariah chapter 2. I'm going to read the chapter, just 13 verses. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. Then the angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, O Zion, escape you who live in the daughter of Babylon, for this is what the Lord Almighty says. After he has honored me and has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is God's Word. Just keep your Bibles open. We're going to stick in this portion of God's Word. And as Rodney's already prayed, I don't need to do so. Earthquakes wake us up that there's something terribly wrong in this world. And they remind us that we are separated from God. This is not the world as God originally intended it. Adam and Eve listened to the evil one and rejected God and his word and they were cast out of the garden, separated from God and the wages of sin is death. We live in a sin-cursed world. Disasters, disease, death are the consequences of, of breakdown in, in our relationship with the life-giving, life-sustaining, eternal God. And the horror of the lunchtime earthquake in Christchurch this past week that buried hundreds wakes us up to this fundamental problem in the world. We need God. We need His forgiveness and His grace. We need His presence and His blessing. Now those who died in that terrible earthquake were no more sinful than anyone else. We grieve with those who grieve. We all 
bear with living in a cursed world, a broken world. And we've had ample reminders of it this past week, haven't we? When a a tyrant ruler like Gaddafi uh, orders his military and, and pays for mercenaries to go about shooting and killing his own people just to cling to power, well, that wakes us up to the tyranny of our sin. We are not intrinsically good. And so when we get great power and position, it reveals our total selfishness and wickedness, and we'll be willing to kill others to keep ourselves in power, to keep ourselves as the ruler. That is evidence of our sinful nature, of our wickedness that is in seed form in each one of our hearts. You see, our democratic system is set up with checks and balances so that we can limit the power of leaders. And in due course, we can kick them out of office without having to fight to get there. That's the beauty of democracy, isn't it? And we get so used to things like police, law courts, regular elections, prison, the military, that we forget that all of these things just give us ample evidence of our fundamental problem that we are sinners in rebellion against God. And this is a messed up world. And so having cut ourselves off from from a good and loving God, we're, we're left in our corruption and our sin. We need God. We need His forgiveness. We need His grace. We need His presence and His blessing. And you know, that is exactly what the Old Testament temple symbolized. Here we are, we're in the Old Testament. We're in a section that's going to basically head towards instructing the people there to build the temple. Why was the temple so significant? Well, because God in His grace and His mercy has acted in history to to restore a relationship with Himself. And it was all... um, it says you, you could go back to Genesis and see how the relationship breaks down. You go to Exodus and see that how God in his grace, in fulfillment to promises that he made to Abraham, uh, he gathers a slave nation out of Egypt and he brings them to himself at Mount Sinai. He gathers a congregation around him of saved people and he promises that uh, he will enter into a covenant relationship with them. They can know the joy of a restored relationship with God through this covenant relationship that God would be their God and would dwell among them and uh, that, that was symbolized really as they were a nomadic people wandering through the wilderness that was symbolized with the construction of a, of a tent a tabernacle uh, that was always put in the center of the camp so wherever the people went the tabernacle was in the center, symbolizing the, 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 the glorious presence of God, the blessings that they knew God, that God was there to, to bless them and to keep them, to provide for them, to guide them, that God was present amongst his people. And when they, uh, they could enter to God's presence through priests, through animal sacrifices, they could know their sins being forgiven, that they could be maintained in a relationship with God and know the glorious presence of God. And when they moved into the land that God promised, then the tabernacle got replaced with the temple. The temple functioned in that way. And when the people were faithful to the covenant vows, they experienced the blessing of God as a nation. But as you read through the the, the rest of the Old Testament, what you see is this. The persistent unfaithfulness and rebellion of this people against God. That after hundreds of years... They finally experience the judgment of God, that God allows other nations like the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire to come and make conquest, 
destroying their nation, destroying the people, destroying the capital city, destroying the temple. That that temple, which had been the visible sign of God's presence among his people, was destroyed. The temple, God's house, that meeting place between God and man, was obliterated. And, and that's where we are at the time of Zechariah, 500 years before the coming of Christ. Zechariah lived at a time where it was all gone. The city walls, the, the temple was just uh, boulders of rock strewn around. There was nothing left. And the majority of the nation that survived this Babylonian conquest were still exiles in Babylon. They were still scattered through what was the Babylonian Empire. Politics had moved on. Uh, the tyrants come and go. Uh, the the Medo-Persian Empire had risen up and uh, had allowed some of them to return. And over 40,000 of the people had come back to the land of their fathers to try and rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, and to get back what was lost. And yet after 20 years of being back home, nothing much had been achieved. Too much opposition, too much difficulty. They were discouraged They'd given up trying. And so Zechariah is sent by God to speak to the people in that context. And uh, we, we thought about this two weeks ago, that on um, February the 15th, 2,530 years ago, uh, Zechariah went to bed, and that night he had eight visions of God revealing what was really going on in that context and we've been sort of just starting to work through these different visions this revelation from God that God wants to address to the people there in that context uh, in a sense just look back at chapter 1 and uh, see a key aspect of that first vision uh, chapter 1 verse 14 Zechariah chapter 1 verse 14 page 950 if you've closed your Bibles God is commissioning Zechariah to preach to the people just a bigger vision for their lives, a bigger vision of the purposes of God. And this is what he says. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's the good news for these returned exiles. That God had not given up on them. He was jealous for Jerusalem, and he was angry at the nations that had so cruelly treated them. And God wanted them to know that he'd returned to Jerusalem with mercy. Uh, that he desired for a restored relationship with them. A renewed fellowship symbolized and enabled by the, the rebuilding of the temple. And this is what this dejected, despairing, returned people needed to understand. God wanted to see this big picture. And not just to see what they could see with their eyes. And this third vision in chapter 2 furthers this and and calls us to have a bigger vision for the church see after this talk of a measuring line being stretched out what do we see we see this uh, this man with a measuring line this young man and uh, 
Zechariah ignores his interpreting angel that he has sees in this vision, and, and he asks this man, well, where are you going? And he gets this reply to uh, measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. It seems that he wants to mark out the boundary walls of the city. And we might want to commend this uh, youthful zeal as he rushes off to do this uh, for being so responsive to what God is doing. But it seems as if it needs some correction, doesn't it? The angel that has been talking to Zechariah sort of turns and starts to walk away. And another angel kind of comes up to that angel and tells him to run after this young man and give him this important message. Look at it again in verse 4. Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. It seems as if the returned exiles, their focus really was about building the walls. That's why he's going off to mark the walls. And you can maybe understand their thinking. It's natural. Let's, let's, let's build defensible walls first, and then we'll build the temple within it. What, what's the point of building the temple uh, if you can't defend it? We've already lost it once. Let's focus on the walls. That's quite natural thought. But that natural human thinking needs correction. That's why we see this angel rushing after this man to give him this message. See, what's the problem with building walls? The problem with building walls is it means that they're constraining what God is wanting to do. The problem with what this guy is doing is that, is, is, is that their ideas are too small. They're too limited. God's got a much bigger vision for what's going on here than they have. God's plan of gathering a people to himself was just too big to be contained within the walls of Jerusalem as they imagined it. And this zealous man needs a bigger vision for the gathering of God's people. Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Because there's going to be such a large number there, including the livestock even. And, and, and so the, the, the purpose of this vision is to say, well, forget about the walls, just focus on the temple. And they were concerned really about their own personal protection, their security. And God promises them and says, well, don't worry about that. Um, he will be their protection. He, he'll be like a wall of fire, just like in the time of the Exodus. Uh, where the pillar of cloud followed them, just as they awaited for the Red Sea to kind of open up, the, the, the pillar of fire went between them and the Egyptian army that was trying to uh, commit genocide upon them, and, and God's fiery presence protected them. And uh, this is what uh, God says, okay, don't worry about the walls. I I'll protect you. Just get on and focus on the temple. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. I'll be its glory within do you know what? The real need for a cursed world is to know the blessing of relationship with God. This is what we need. And, and, and they needed to rebuild the temple so that God and his glory could dwell among them. That throughout the world, God's people could be gathered again into relationship 
with God through access of the temple, this meeting place between God and man. And though they were a tiny little group, seemingly insignificant, they could participate in, in, in God's salvation plan for the whole world. They could be involved in kingdom building work, but it's just the practicality of rebuilding this temple. Now here we are in the 21st century. What has all this talk of walls and temples got to do with us? Because what they're doing in the 5th century is preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ. They're getting the scene of history, the stage set to allow Jesus to walk on the stage of human history. Jesus Christ fulfilled and replaced the temple in God's purposes. If in the evening we're working through the Gospel of John, and John wants us to see this as he, as he uh, explains the good news to us. Uh, he, he wants us to see that Jesus actually is the one to whom the tabernacle and the... And the, and the, and the, uh, the um, my brain, the temple, is pointing to. And, uh, and so in John chapter 1, he kicks off very early and saying this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory. See, the temple was the place where God's glory would be known. We have seen God's glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus is the God-man. He is the meeting place between God and man. He was fully God, yet he took on human flesh to become fully man. And his coming is the fulfillment of the promise of the temple. And in chapter 2 of John's Gospel, he says, Jesus stands to the Jews, uh, stands before the Jews of his day and says to them, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they say, well, that's crazy because it took us 46 years to build this temple, Jesus. And John explains, no, he was talking about the temple of his body. His death upon the cross was the ultimate sacrifice that bears away sin, that deals with our problem of brokenness. His death upon the cross is the way that we receive forgiveness. And his body raised from the dead uh, points us to the fact that he is the meeting place between God and man. There is no other mediator between God and man than Jesus Christ. The only way you can really come to know God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in his gospel. And as Jesus ascended to God's right hand, really, if you want a visible place to come and see uh, God dwelling amongst his people now. You don't need to go to one place in Jerusalem. There's only a wall left. No, you, you find a Christian church where the good news of Jesus Christ is preached, where people can come to know God through faith in this gospel. And, you know, by God's grace, this is exactly what has happened, isn't it? This is the fulfillment of what we see in Zechariah's vision. There's not a continent in this world where you cannot find some group of believers gathered together around Christ, trusting in the gospel, meeting with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where the vision of Zechariah is fulfilled. Churches in every town city or community where God's spirit dwells amongst his gathered people. That's, that's what this vision is pointing towards. And as we seek to apply this to ourselves, I think we need to apply it in a very similar way that we need a bigger vision for God's church. 
uh, this world just kind of discounts the church as useless, as insignificant. And let's be honest, there's times in church life that, where it can all seem very mundane. As mundane as uh, you know, getting involved with a building project with stones and a temple. But God would want us to view what we're doing in this church and in other churches in this city where Jesus is proclaimed. He wants us to view this with the big vision of what he is doing. Do you know what? Membership of a church, serving with other Christians, reaching out to new people with the gospel, seeing them built up in Christ, investing our time, investing our money and our lives to make disciples and to plant churches is not esteemed by society, is it? But it is at the very center of God's purposes in the world. We are co-workers with God to display His glory to the world. My glory will be within it, the Lord says. I will dwell amongst you. We are co-workers with God to display His glory to the city of Edinburgh. And as a great multitude come to a saving knowledge of him through the gospel and become built together as the temple of his Holy Spirit, then his glory is revealed. And, and I'm asking us, really, do we have this big vision of what God is doing in the world? Do we need a bigger vision for God's church and the spread of his gospel and the welcoming in of new people? See, I think just like them, we are often tempted to be more concerned with our own comfort and our own security. You know, we've, we've got enough people in our fellowship group. Um, we've really got comfortable with each other. We've got our relationships. We don't, don't make us change. Don't make us change. Don't ask us to change. We're, we're happy with the numbers of people in our church. We're, we're happy with the way we do church. We like the way people dress you. Don't bring in people who would look different to us. Who come with don't, don't do that. Don't, don't mess things up. We like our comfort. We like it the way things are. Let's, let's build the walls. Let's, let's keep ourselves safe. I think we are constantly tempted to have a small, restricted view of what God is seeking to accomplish in this world through his church and through this church. Do you know, I'm fearful that we're sitting on a large sum of money from the sale of Beulah, and it's not currently working to further gospel work. It's starting to niggle at me. It's starting to worry me. Um... If it just sits in the bank account acting as some sort of security for us, then I wonder, are we doing the right thing? Maybe we've got some ideas that we're going to use it to serve ourselves rather than the extension of God's kingdom. We must not have a smaller vision than God's for his church in the world. And we must understand how serious the stakes are. See, following this vision, we get kind of three applications, three commands, three implications, I guess, uh, as a result of this vision. And uh, they come in the form of these sort of urgent commands. Firstly, verse 6 to 9, escape from Babylon. Escape from Babylon. Next screen, please. That's great. And I think the, the, the English Standard Version sort of translates this 
verse uh, uh, better than the NIV here. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. See, if God is jealous for Jerusalem and he's present there to bless and protect his people, and God is very angry against the nations that plundered his people, then what's the sane response? It's to flee from Babylon and, and run to Zion, which is just another name for Jerusalem here. If he's, if he's very angry against the nation that plundered them, that, that, that was actually a defunct Babylon at this stage, they should flee from Babylon and escape to Zion where God's presence is, where God is there to bless uh, that word translated come in the NIV or up in the ESV is a word that's like a shout or a call just to rouse them. It's kind of like, hey! The Lord's getting their attention. Hey, hey! Escape! Get out of Babylon. And, you know, I'm sure you've watched with me um, these desperate pictures this past week of people trying to flee Libya. And the BBC News website had this caption, Britain's urge to flee Tripoli. Well, yes. Now, there was a time when people went to Libya and could make good money working in the oil business and could live comfortable lives. And they had very nice lives there. And if only a month ago you knew what was taking place there, if you were the foreign office, wouldn't you have said a month, wouldn't you have said sooner? Flee. Escape now for the crush in the airport. Get out before the chaos descends. That's kind of what's going on here. This command is, 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 is quite specifically, I guess, addressed to God's people who were in danger of forgetting their true identity of where it lay. The exiles had, um, had settled down. They had prospered in Babylon. They were uh, maybe had businesses, you know, children, grandchildren, lives, you know, land, properties perhaps, and they were getting pretty comfortable in Babylon. And here was the point of decision about where they would identify themselves with. They were perhaps in danger of forgetting who they were. And here's the point of decision. Where are you going to identify yourself? With Babylon? Or with Jerusalem? Are you going to identify yourself in the place where ultimately God's judgment is going to fall? Or with, with where God is chosen to bless and save and be and keep his people? Well, how foolish to, uh, in a sense, pour all your assets into the place which is going to end up being destroyed. Why invest your life and identity with a nation that's under God's judgment? Zechariah 2 verse 9, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. See what this vision is calling for these exiles still in Babylon is instead they should be uh, bringing their resources and their wealth gained from uh, their slavery in Babylon, cash out and bring it all back Zion and get busy in building the temple for God's glory there in Jerusalem. And I think just like the exiles, as Christians, 
there's always a danger that we can begin to identify ourselves more with a God-rejecting world than with his church. You know, as Christians, we can become very worldly, just living with exactly the same priorities, the same values as non-Christians around us. I don't know. I don't know your hearts. I don't know what state you are in today. But maybe this may be true of you today. You know that, that, that today what is gripping your heart is not God's glory. It's not the gospel. It's not a concern for God's people. What's gripping your heart today is your own glory. Um, you're pursuing a life in defiance of God's word. And uh, you're increasingly making excuses for not getting involved with God's people. I, I don't know. And I, I want to say lovingly from God's word here there, that, that today is a time of decision. Are you going to live in Babylon or Jerusalem? And God's word addresses his people who are getting intoxicated with Babylon and cries out, come out of her, my people. Come, escape to Zion, flee from the world, identify with Christ, identify with his church. In fact, set yourselves to plunder the world in order to invest in his eternal kingdom. That's the first application of that vision of a, of a city without walls. And secondly, they should rejoice and prepare, verse 10 to 12. And, and this is where now Zechariah turns from addressing the exiles away in Babylon and turns to the people who were there in the land. And he says to them, verse 10, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you. Now, what was the sight that was before this return, people? Well, at this point, they're living their lives among the rubble of past glories, the stones of the temple and city scattered all about. And they're trying to make a living and get by in a failing economy, a small group of struggling believers. And God says, I want you to view this not with your eyesight, but by faith and see this bigger vision of what I am doing amongst you. Do you see God's promise of his coming amongst them, of living among them? And, and look what he's going to do. It's not just going to be God amongst them. They're not going to be a small group, are they? They're going to be people from all over the nations gathered together. And they too will become part of God's people. And, and if they have a vision for what God's going to do, rather than being dis depressed and discouraged and giving up, they should be rejoicing and shouting. God's coming. God's, God's dwelling amongst us. God's in the business of gathering the nations. This is where it's at. This is where it's happening. This is this is why it's worth investing our lives right here. Don't just see the, the chaos, the rubble around you. Don't just be discouraged. God's on the move. God's at work. God's building his kingdom. And you know what? God's purposes have always been to encompass the whole world. His purpose was always to bring blessing to the nations from Abraham's call all the way on. All are welcome to come to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. The nations uh, will come um, and be part 
of his people. And you know, this weekend we have the International Fellowship Weekend away. And so there'd be at least 60 people from, I don't know, 18, 19 different nations in the world. And even though we've got those away, uh, we've still got different national groups here. We are embodiment of this prophecy, aren't we? We are beginning to see this happen. Uh, as even in our own congregation, we have people from multiple different nations around the world who've come to recognize Jesus as their king, as their savior, and have joined themselves to this fellowship. What a joy. Doesn't it make you glad? See what God is doing? And, and, and so... The, the point of this vision for, for the people there is to okay, rejoice and, and be glad and, and prepare. Prepare to welcome the nations that are coming. Build a temple. Get things ready. Prepare for the nations to come in. See, the evidence that they believe this is they get busy building the temple. And the evidence that we have a bigger vision for the church is that we will be investing our time our gifts, our talents, our energy, and our efforts to, to, to be about making disciples and planting churches to the glory of God and to the growth of his kingdom here on earth. And by God's grace, Charlotte has continued to be a place that's invested in good gospel work like this. It was a joy to be at the open day at Nidri Community Church yesterday. And uh, just to be reminded again what God is doing in that little church in, in the heart of the uh, state there in Nidri. The work uh, that the team are doing in opening the, 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 the building every day is the cafe and just welcoming people in and loving people and feeding them and getting to know them. And people are beginning to overcome their drug addictions by putting their trust in the Lord Jesus. People are beginning to grow in their knowledge of God. People are getting built up into that church. And that on a Sunday, there'll be about 100 there. is just a great joy. And we partnered with them to make that happen. Isn't that a joy? You see, if we've got a, we've, we, we can have a depressed view of how bad things are, or we can have a joyful view of how great God is, and, and where can we invest next? How can we see this gospel go out and have an even bigger impact? How can we welcome more people? Do you know what? There's, do you see these spaces on our pews? There's people in this city who need to be sitting right there. How are they going to get here? Uh, we could do an advertising campaign for the TV. We could... Uh, I don't, why don't we go invite people? Why don't we go and love people, care for people, invest our lives in people, seek to have opportunities to share this good news with them? Or bring them to the Passion for Life thing that's coming up, a great week of events where Roger Carswell is going to share the gospel. If we don't feel confident about sharing the gospel, we can bring them to someone who can share it with them. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion. We mustn't limit what God can do. His church is a city without walls, and that is immensely exciting to me. Immensely exciting. The third and final response this morning is addressed to the world in verse 13. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. How do you describe this world? It's a noisy world, isn't it? Certainly if you live in the city, it's noise all the time. Everywhere you go, there's radios on, the TV's on, films are on, 
walking down the high street, all that Scottish music, music, selling Scottish tat. Noise everywhere. Noise. Distracting. Distracting us from eternal truths. Wants to keep us busy. Doesn't want us to think about God, about our fallenness, about the coming judgment of God. And this verse says to the world, shh, be silent. God has roused himself. This world is not going to keep going. There is an end point. It's what we read from the book of Revelation this morning. Babylon, even at the time that um, is right here in Zechariah, was not really a power anymore. It was a symbol of a world that's in rejection against God. It, it, in a sense, Babylon, all the way through the scriptures, is almost a picture of that from the city of Babel. And it gets carried all the way through to the book of Revelation, chapter 18, that was read to us. And, and there probably referring to Rome in its day, but uh, is described Babylon the great falling under the judgment of God. My friends, I, I don't know whether you will die before Jesus comes back or that Jesus will come back, but there is a terminal point and then that point, there is an eternal separation. There is either the, the judgment of eternal hell or is the joy and bliss of heaven and relationship with him. And I know this makes me sound like a dinosaur. I know this is just crazy talk to most people in this world. And it just wants to keep, hey, look at the Oscars. Look at this. Ooh, look at the dresses. Look at the... Look, look. And, 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 and this world would want to fill your mind with utter rubbish and numb you to these eternal truths. And I want to say to you today, this is serious. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to lose. There is, a, there is a relationship with God that is possible. The good and loving God who gives all good gifts. And I want to say to you, flee from this world that is in rejection of God and flee to Christ. We're not going to up sticks and move to, I mean, Perth is a lovely place and I'm glad that they're going there. It's not especially a move to Perth. You don't have to run anywhere, move your house, but run to Christ. Change the whole orientation of your life. Run to Christ. Ask his forgiveness for your rebellion and sin. Lay hold of the forgiveness he offers through his death upon the cross. Come and join his people, his saved people, where God promises to dwell in all his goodness and his grace. And my friends, you know, even if you end up in a building that gets demolished one day, if you are trusting Christ, you'll be safe home. Safe home with him are you trusting him today flee to Christ